Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. Talking about mercy is an interesting discussion. It's interesting because how do you describe it, right? What is mercy? What is mercy? Well, we launched this series last week called the Mercy Conundrum, and what we said is that mercy can be defined as compassion. Mercy is compassion, and that's how we're describing it throughout the series. Mercy equals compassion, but still, it's kind of a hard word to interpret. I think whenever we have a discussion about mercy... You also have to have a discussion about justice. Mercy and justice travel together. They're partners. And so whenever we talk about mercy, which is what we're doing throughout the month, you also have to have a discussion about justice. And mercy is needed. And that's what we're challenging ourselves with throughout the month of February. Mercy is absolutely needed, and we should be giving that out to people. But justice is also needed. So think about this. In our land, there are laws and there are rules. And we have to abide by them. When laws and rules are broken, justice. Justice is required. And that's good news for all of us. We need that. So mercy is needed, and we should be giving that to other people, but we are guided by rules and by laws, and when those rules are broken, justice, it's required. So whenever we have a discussion about mercy, it has to include the subject of justice as well. In most courthouses in the Western world, you will find somewhere a statue of Lady Justice. So here is Lady Justice. We welcome her to Valley Point Church today. We welcome her to the stage, and she has much to teach us about justice as well as mercy. And so we're going to combine these two things, and I believe they're going to give us a great picture of this next step that we need to take in the mercy conundrum. So Lady Justice, there's so much symbolism in this statue. You can see in her left hand, she holds a balance or a scale, and that is because Lady Justice is charged with weighing the evidence, and she has to measure the strength of a case's support as well as its opposition, and that's her job. She weighs the evidence, and so in her left hand, she holds scales, In her right hand, she has a sword, which is a symbol and a picture of authority. She is standing on a book, which is a picture of knowledge. And she's also standing on a snake, which is kind of creepy. But she's doing that because the snake is a picture of evil. And so as she weighs the evidence, as she moves with authority, as she stands on the knowledge that she has gained in her lifetime... She overcomes evil. Perhaps the uniquest thing about Lady Justice is that she's blindfolded. She can't see. Lady Justice 
wears a blindfold. And that is a picture of her impartiality. She meets out justice to everyone. She gives justice to all without consideration of wealth or power or any other status. Lady Justice is blind. I've had the opportunity over the past couple of weeks to interact with three very honorable judges. And I've been talking to them about justice and mercy. And one of the judges was very gracious enough to give us her statue of Lady Justice so we could look at her today and learn from the symbolism of this. I've been interacting with these judges and just talking to them about justice and mercy and how do they define it and how do they work through all of these issues as they judge and as they rule. And the conversations have been fascinating. And much of what they shared with me has shaped this conversation today. Here's what all three of the judges said. Justice is blind. Justice is blind. And that's a good thing. We want that. Justice is blind. Mercy, though, is a little bit different. Justice is blind. We benefit from that, and we need that, and we want that. But mercy is a bit different, and here's the difference. And I want you to hear this. I want you to really see this. Mercy sees. It sees. It sees real people and real problems. So justice is blind, and we see that in the image of Lady Justice, and that's good for everybody. Justice is blind, but mercy, it sees. It sees real people and real problems and real hurts. And that takes us back to the story of the Good Samaritan. Last week, we observed how the Good Samaritan came across someone lying on the side of the road left for dead, and he saw. He saw. His heart was moved with compassion. Today, we're going to add a second step to solving the puzzle of mercy, and that is the word go. So the Good Samaritan, he saw, but he also made the choice to go, and he solved the mercy conundrum. So here's our walking path for today, just so you know where we are going. I'm going to share a big idea that will frame our conversation, and then we're going to go back to the story in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read it again and peel apart another word and just talk about that as it provides another step in solving the puzzle of mercy. And then after that, I'm going to provide some practical takeaways that hopefully will help us all survive another seven days as we think about being merciful to other people, which is hard. It's difficult. So I'm going to give you some takeaways that will help with that. And then we're going to talk about whiskey. Yes, whiskey. And some of you just woke back up. Welcome to Valley Point Church. I'm so glad that you are here. We're going to have a great morning. Big idea. Back to the story. Takeaways. And then we'll wrap it all up with whiskey. And hopefully this will make sense as we seek to solve the mercy conundrum. Okay? Take out your talk notes. Grab a pen. And let's fill in some blanks here. This is the big idea. It is not enough to see the need. 
We must go. Okay? It is not enough just to see the need. We must go, and that's the second step. The first step is see, and the second step is go. We get involved. We move toward. We get our hands dirty. We inconvenience ourselves and our schedules to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. We see what we see moves us to compassion, and then we go, which takes us back to the story. If you have a Bible or a device, I would love for you to find Luke chapter 10, I'm going to begin reading with verse 30. Remember, Jesus is sharing a story here in response to a question from an expert in the law. And the expert asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus responded in Luke chapter 10 and said, well, you're the expert in the law. What does the law of Moses say? And the expert in law said, well, the law of Moses tells us to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, that's right. Do that and you will live. Well, the expert in law wasn't happy with that. He wanted to trick Jesus. And so he asked him another question. He said, who's my neighbor? I get I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, all my mind and all my soul with everything. I get that. It makes sense. Who's my neighbor? And this is what Jesus does. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, it's important for us to know, he saw... He observed, he saw the man lying beside the road, but he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. The priest saw, the temple assistant looked, he saw him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side of the road. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and remember last week we talked about this, Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. They hated each other. And so when Jesus would have shared this story, no doubt somebody in the crowd would have picked up on, oh, there's a Jewish man who's hurt. Now a Samaritan comes along. Boo! Samaritans are not good. But the Samaritan comes along. And when he saw the man, here's what happened. He felt compassion for him going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, not a problem. I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, The one who showed him, say the word with me, mercy. The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. I want to go back to our big idea, which tells us it is not enough to see those in need. We must go. And I love this thought from Jack Alexander, who is the author of The God Impulse. He says this about mercy. 
Mercy always carries an element of risk, even danger. And we have to remember this as we engage in the work of mercy. It's not always easy. There's an element of risk, even danger, to get involved, to sink your hands into the muck of the world and pull out the poor and the suffering is never safe. It's never safe. Sometimes our challenge is we want safe and we like that and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but what we discover from Luke's gospel and his account of what Jesus said here is that sometimes mercy can be a little dangerous. It is never safe. Keep in mind that in the story Jesus shared, the first two individuals saw, right? We've read this. The priest saw He observed the man stuck on the side of the road and dying, and the temple assistant saw, he looked, he observed the man who was in a lot of trouble on the side of the road, but they both made the choice to pass by and do nothing at all. Then the good Samaritan comes along, he observes, he sees as well, but he decides to act upon what he observes, and we see this in verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Boo! But when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him. Going over to him. It's such a beautiful phrase. Going over to him. To him. If you'd like to circle, highlight, box, do all of that stuff in your Bible or journal, which I would encourage you to do. I think that's a great thing. I would encourage you to underline and highlight these words. When he saw the man, that's the first step of solving the mercy conundrum. You have to see. But we can't just see. We have to go. Highlight that word. Underline that. Mark that. Because again, it's the second step in solving this puzzle of mercy, which can be perplexing. We have to see, and then we have to go. The significance of this step go cannot be overlooked. It can't be overlooked. We've already established how Jews and Samaritans absolutely hated each other. The Samaritans were a half-breed in the eyes of the Jews, and they looked down on them because of that, and they had all kinds of other problems. They didn't get along. They absolutely hated each other. And so it wouldn't have been unusual for Jesus perhaps to share this story and say, here's a Jewish man on the side of the road, and along comes a Samaritan. Boo, nobody likes them. And guess what? He realized he was a Jew. They hate each other, and he just kept on going. That's probably what people assumed was going to happen. But the Samaritan becomes the protagonist in the story. And he, the one who shouldn't have, the one who shouldn't have. Like as you read the story, like the the priest, like come on, do something. The temple assistant, the religious people, come on and help. The ones who should have didn't. The one who shouldn't have did. He saw And then going over to him, he was moved with what he observed and he sprung into action and he began to solve the mercy conundrum. Okay, let's get to our takeaways. Number one, 
The character of God is bent toward mercy. And I think we have to remember this as we read the story. I think we have to remember it in our own lives. That when you walk through the pages of scripture over and over and over again, we find God being merciful. Yes, he is just. And he meets out justice. That is true. But so often, all of these stories and how God interacts with people, you see mercy consistently. God is bent toward giving mercy to others. That's part of his character. And I believe it makes good sense for those who claim to follow him that it should be part of their character as well. That we, Jesus followers, trying to live and model our lives after him should be bent towards mercy as well. I'm thinking of our church-wide life verse, Micah chapter 6, verse 8. We sang it a little bit ago. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Act justly, love mercy. (laughs) Love mercy which involves see and go. So let's just remember, as we think about doing the hard work of extending compassion, which that's the definition of mercy, as we engage in this, it is difficult, but the character of God is bent toward mercy. That should define us as well. Secondly, truth is important. Justice is critical. But truth and justice should always be marinated in mercy. Truth is good, gotta have truth, or we fall apart as a culture. We have to have justice, or we have problems in our communities. But truth and justice should always be soaked in and bathed in and marinated in mercy. Think about parenting as an example. We attempt in our own imperfect ways as humans to act this way, don't we? There are times when our kids have to be punished. There are rules of the home, perhaps, that are broken. And so there is truth that is given. Justice is provided. But I think all of us as parents hope that we do that in mercy. And this is the picture of God. Truth matters, justice matters, always marinated in mercy. We do this as parents. We need to be doing this in all of our relationships. Truth matters, it does. Justice, it's really important. Marinate all of that in compassion. And then thirdly, pay attention to the nudge. Pay attention to the nudge. What's the nudge? Well, the nudge is whenever we feel God pushing us into an uncomfortable situation for the betterment of others. So there's little promptings in our hearts. Go. Do. Help. Sacrifice. Give. All these little nudges in our heart from God And often we're running so fast and we're checking things off the to-do list and we're running the agenda that we don't have time to stop and do that stuff. The Good Samaritan reminds us, let's inconvenience ourselves and our calendars and our wealth 
Two, listen to these nudges from God. So what does a nudge practically look like? Well, here's some examples. How about a love day? In your program, you'll notice there is a flyer for our next love day on Saturday, February the 16th. This is going to be an amazing day. We have all kinds of organizations here that we're going to extend mercy to. We're going to inconvenience ourselves for a couple of hours so we can repair and restore and clean and do whatever it is that they need us to do. We're going to be their servants for a little bit of time on this Saturday. And maybe God is just nudging you a little bit. Hey, maybe you should try that. Maybe you should do that. Listen to that nudge. Maybe that nudge will be a compassion trip. Throughout the year, we have groups of people from Valley Point and people outside of Valley Point who partner with us and they go to places like Haiti and the Dominican Republic and Russia and we see and go, go really far to extend compassion, to give mercy to others. This Friday, we have a group of individuals from Valley Point who are leaving for Haiti and they're going to take seven days and they're going to do the work of mercy, the work of compassion. I hope that you'll join me in praying for them. Maybe God will nudge you a little bit when you hear the next announcement about a compassion trip and, oh, maybe I need to give up a little vacation time and some money and pay for this and go and help the least of these and give mercy away. Maybe that's the nudge that God is planting in your heart. Maybe you're a student here in middle school or high school, college, or maybe even elementary school. And there are people in your school who are lonely. And you know it, everybody knows who they are. And perhaps God is nudging you a little bit. Go, help them. That's a God nudge. It's really important that we pay attention to these things. How about that friend or family member who seems to consistently step into one pile of poop after another and we're like, what are you doing? Why do you keep stepping into that mess? And stop, stop, it's not good. And maybe God is calling us and giving us a nudge once again They probably know the truth and they've had a lot of justice entered into their life. Maybe they need us to start cleaning up that mess once again to prop them up and to help them move forward. These are all nudges from God. If you are anything like me, sometimes I get these nudges in my heart and here's what I do. No. (laughs) No. I don't have time for this. They don't deserve it. And I've done enough. And God helps those who help themselves. Right? We use that cliche and that's all it is. And it's a really bad cliche, by the way. No, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Well, it's likely. And I want you to hear this. So all eyes up here for just a moment. This is really important. It's likely that those who need mercy the most from us don't deserve it. And that's the point of the story. That's the whole point. By the way, I don't deserve the mercy of God. I don't deserve that. 
but God continually provides that and I benefit from it. And so let's pay attention to these nudges from God. Okay, that brings us to whiskey. Do you like that transition? It's really good. So let's think about whiskey and justice and mercy. So in January 1791, we're going to go back a few years here. President George Washington's Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton. In the first hour, I almost said George Hamilton, but I think he was an actor who's really tan and not the same guy. So Alexander Hamilton, remember these guys? Founding fathers, George Washington, Alexander Hamilton. Well, here's what he did. He proposed a tax on spirits distilled in the United States. He wanted to tax alcohol, and that's exactly what they did. Well, what Congress couldn't predict is how angry this would make a lot of people. And there actually came about a whiskey rebellion on the western front of the state of Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh, a whiskey rebellion, where they said, no, we're not going to listen to that. We're not going to pay attention to that. This is an abuse of federal authority and power. We will not pay taxes on our whiskey. We're not going to do that. And it became a real problem. By 1794, the whiskey rebellion threatened the stability of a young America, really put it on edge. And President Washington knew at that point he had to do something about this. He wanted to resolve it peacefully, but in July of 1794, the rebels burned down the home of a tax collector outside of Pittsburgh. They said, forget you, forget paying taxes. We're not doing it. We're going to burn your home down instead. So President Washington knew he had to act and he put together an army of 12,000 individuals and they marched on the western front of Pennsylvania. They got there and the rebels had dispersed, of course, but they were able to apprehend about 150 of them. They wanted to try them for treason. They broke the law, but they really didn't have a lot of evidence. So they released those individuals, but they hung on to two men named John Mitchell and Philip Weigel. They were found guilty of treason. But something unique happened. President Washington pardoned them. He let them go. He gave them a full and complete pardon. And by 1802, then President Thomas Jefferson repealed the tax on whiskey. It was gone. So here's a statement about that whole event and about President Washington's pardons. Washington's response to the rebellion itself and his clemency, his mercy, his compassion for individuals swept up in it helped the young nation survive its first internal crisis and set a pattern for presidents to come. And here's what they said, which I found so fascinating because we're talking about justice. It's needed. It's blind. But we have to meet it out occasionally because that's what needs to happen to keep society moving forward. But there's also this mercy component. So here's what it says. He used both justice and mercy to preserve a young country. He used both justice, which is blind, but mercy, which sees real people and real problems 
and he preserved a country. Justice, it's blind. And we see that so clearly in Lady Justice. Justice is blind and that's good for all of us. Mercy though, it's a little bit different. It sees. It sees. And then what we find in Luke chapter 10 is it not only sees, it makes the choice to go. And these are the first two steps of solving the mercy conundrum. Is mercy really a problem? Yeah, I think it is. And we live in an unmerciful world. We do. Just look around. Observe. Pay attention to everything that's happening. We live in an unmerciful world. Well, I believe God wants to call us as a faith community. I believe God wants to use all of us as a group, as a church, as a body, as a family to see and then to go. Justice matters. It's blind though. Mercy, it gives us the ability to see and then go. I hope you'll come back next week as we look at the third step for solving the mercy conundrum. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we're thankful for a chance once again to look at this great story found in Luke chapter 10. We're thankful that it's there because it helps us to learn so much about what you want for us God, in all of this, you call us to trust. Mercy is hard, often dangerous. Sacrifice is certainly involved. But yet you call us to trust you, to go and do the same. So God, we've taken two weeks so far to just say, let's see, let's slow the pace of our lives a little bit to actually look at the people around us and mercy, we don't have to go far for it. It's right around us. It's in our home. It's in our workplaces. It's in our schools. Mercy opportunities everywhere in our communities. We don't have to go far. So help us to see. But God, if we're gonna solve the mercy puzzle, if we're gonna unleash the power of mercy in an unmerciful world, We have to do more than observe. We have to go. God, I confess to you that often my first response to that is no. No, I'll study mercy. I'll teach on it. But I don't want to stop. I don't want to pause. And these people, they don't deserve it. I've helped them before. They need to help themselves. I say no. But God, those who need mercy the most from us, they don't deserve it. And that's the point of the Good Samaritan. We go anyway, and we do, because that's what Jesus would do. That's what Jesus did. It's what he did. By coming and living and dying and rising again for us. We don't deserve any of that. But he got involved in our mess, and I think you're calling us to do the same. So God, disrupt our schedules this week with the work of mercy and help us not to say no 
but help us with humility to love mercy, to see, and then go. Help me to do that. Help Valley Point to do that, knowing it will make a tremendous difference in our communities. Give us the strength and the courage to act that way. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.